0: welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we are going to be talking about colorwork. Yay! We love colorwork. Colorwork's amazing. Okay. So. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Colorwork is amazing, and a lot of the time, you know, if you're browsing Ravelry or looking through a book of patterns you're going to see a lot of really beautiful color work. And if you haven't ever done it before, it can feel intimidating. I think for a lot of people, it feels like a hurdle that they have to climb over. You know, you haven't done it until you've done it. And taking the step from not ever having done color work to having done color work can feel like a really big step. Oh, I definitely agree.
1: It maybe feels a little overwhelming. And I think we've kind of said that about other techniques too like brioche, but there are lots of things that until you do them, they feel like the thing that can't be done.
0: Well, and brioche is color work, right? So yeah, if you're doing (laughs)
1: two-color brioche, it definitely is.
0: Yeah. So like, and it could be that just a particular kind is a hurdle for you.
1: So today we're going to explore different color work methods. And talk a little bit about technique and hopefully encourage you to take that step of dipping your toes into using more than one color of yarn in your upcoming projects.
0: That's right. So the first kind that we're going to talk about is probably the kind that you've seen on most of the like colorwork yoke sweaters that are posted or patterns that are published. It's called stranded colorwork. Sometimes also referred to as fair isle. Right. And all stranded color work is, is you're using two different strands of two different colors of yarn, and you're knitting with them at the same time in the same row of knitting.
1: Yes. And to do that, all knitters have kind of different approaches to how they handle using multiple strands of yarn in a single row. But whatever technique you end up using to manage the yarn, what you're doing is creating floats across the back. So if you've ever had like an Icelandic style sweater, like those ski sweaters, and you turn them inside out and you see these big loops hanging strands of yarn across the back that feed into the stitches, those are your floats. A couple of years ago, maybe it was more than a couple, I, I've lost <laughs> time. I can remember being in a Target and walking past the women's clothing section, and there were colorwork sweaters hanging on hangers, and they were all inside out. And they were meant to be worn that way. And I think to a non-knitter, it just looked like a kind of funky textured sweater, but all I could think was, oh no. Oh, right.
0: <laughs> right, it's like the snaggiest nightmare. And also it just hides all
1: of that like beautiful colorwork pattern by tucking it inside against your body. Although I have to say that I do enjoy the current trend on Instagram where people flip their colorwork yokes inside out and like flat lay them so you can
0: see all of the gorgeous floats in the in the yoke. Right. When you're knitting stranded colorwork, what you're usually doing, you'll have, we're going to just say it's two color color colorwork. So you'll have your main color and then you'll have your contrast color and you'll knit you know, four stitches with your main color and then three stitches with your contrast color and then two stitches with your main color and then one stitch with your contrast color and you're just kind of going back and forth there. And there are a couple of different techniques you can use in order to do that.
1: Okay, so there are different techniques for managing your multiple strands of color when you're doing stranded or feral color work. There are people who like to hold both strands in a single hand, and the hand that you choose to manage your yarn will probably depend on whether you are a continental-style knitter or an English-style knitter, but you'll need to have your yarns wrapped around your fingers in a way that will allow you to keep consistent tension as you work across your row. Some people like to do their color work two-handed, so they have color A in their right hand and color B in their left hand as they're knitting across their color work?
0: Yeah, which is my preferred method. So I like to hold my main color in my right hand and my contrast color in my left hand, and that accomplishes a couple of different things for me. One is that my tension with my right hand is a lot more consistent. My left-handed tension is pretty loose, and so what I'll do is I'll actually, I'll be a thrower, with my right hand and I'm a picker with my left hand. And so it will keep my color work stitches loose enough that I don't run into tension issues. The contrast color doesn't end up being too tight. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, like what happens if you have tension problems. The other thing that's really nice about that, because you aren't setting down the yarn and then picking it back up over and over and over again with the same hand, it is a little bit less of a tangle issue. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, when you have two strands of yarn coming off your project, there's just sort of a string management problem. You run into, like, you know, if you have to stand up, (laughs) you're going to tangle your feet in it. So having, like, the one ball of yarn to your right and the other ball of yarn to your left works pretty well to manage some of that. And that said, there are some knitters that
1: like to hold their yarn single-stranded. And what I mean by that is they're only holding one color at a time and they're dropping the yarn instead of holding two colors in their right hand or left. They might hold their red and then knit a few stitches and then drop it and pick up the blue and knit a few stitches and then pick up the red again. And none of these is the right way to do it. It's whatever technique is comfortable for you. And I find that I think a lot of people who are starting with color work, the first couple times that they attempt it, tend to lean toward that as they're figuring out what to do managing these multiple strands.
0: Oh, totally. Because that is the thing that is most like what you're already doing. Yes. You're just knitting along and you just happen to be changing which piece of yarn you're holding. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is, in terms of what you're actually doing with your hands, it is exactly what you are already doing for the rest of everything you do. If you're approaching your first colorwork project, there's no reason to load multiple new techniques where you're like trying two new things at once. Mm -hmm. Try one new thing at once. It's like skincare, right? (laughs) Don't try like seven new products one night and then be like, wow, I just burned my face off and I feel really like I don't know which one of those was the problem. Like surprise. Surprise, <laughs> right? Like try one for a couple days, try another one. It's like that, but yarn. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's that's
1: accurate. Yeah. It's just don't overwhelm yourself. Kind of ease your way into things. So let's see. Tension. You mentioned tension, Karen. Yes. If I am getting gauge with one color, like say I'm making a yoked sweater. Sure. And the body itself is just one color of yarn and I can get the designer's gauge with my single color. But when I'm knitting the yoke with the color work, my gauge is
0: tighter. Mm -hmm. What do I do to alleviate that? Right. So, and sometimes it'll be the gauge is tighter and sometimes it's you're literally seeing puckering in the Mm -hmm. fabric. I'm going to say that we're knitting a yoke with little flowers on it in between the flowers. The fabric will sort of like puff out. That means that your floats are too tight. The things you could do to alleviate that are you could go up a needle size and you want to knit a gauge swatch under that circumstance too. knit a gauge swatch with your color work, with your two different needle sizes, and make sure you're not going to end up with like something that's wildly varying. You could be really deliberate about loosening up, which will work to different degrees for different people under different circumstances. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) If you are a meeting knitter, you may not be able to remember, oh, I need to be loose, 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 because you're also doing something else. If you are just sitting home by yourself with your cat, that's all you're doing is knitting. You might be able to just remember, chill out, don't pull too tight. Trying the two-hand technique can be helpful, also, and I've mentioned this before, but knitting your main color with non-superwash and your contrast color with superwash will help because then when you block it, the superwash yarn will relax a little bit and help alleviate if it's like a small amount of puckering. Those are good suggestions. You might run into more tension issues with longer floats than with shorter floats. And what we mean by that is how many stitches there are between your flowers or whatever your colorwork is. So different knitters will have different kind of break points for that. Yes. I think five stitches is usually fairly standard. You know, sometimes you'll see floats that are like 13 stitches, and it's hard to figure out how loose to keep your yarn. So Karen's a big fan of (laughs) catching floats. (laughs) Yes. And there is literally zero chance I'm going to successfully describe this on the podcast. But there are ways of sort of wrapping your floating yarn in your working yarn so that it stays invisible, but also it's just kind of tacked down. And the other thing that's nice about that is when you're actually putting your sweater on, you don't end up like catching a float with your thumb and then you've just like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like a, like a baby, right? You're like a baby. (laughs)
1: You're trapped in your yeah, sweater. Right,
0: trapped in your sweater. Like when you're trying to get a baby dressed in a snowsuit or something, right? And they're just like made of elbows because they didn't. Uh huh. It's nobody's favorite.
1: We'll try and find a good video that shows uh, <laughs> float catching techniques without babies in snowsuits. I was positive and
0: that you were going to say a good video of a baby trapped in a snowsuit. Oh, we I... might
1: find one of those too. And we'll put them both in the show notes yes. for your perusal. So Karen likes to catch her floats. Yep. I like to live a little more dangerously <laughs> because I'm a little lazy and I don't care about how long my floats are. Really. <laughs> and nothing bad has happened to me yet because of it. So sometimes I might have a 13 stitch long float on the inside of my sweater yoke. And I just remember to put on my rings after I get dressed in the morning and not before and I live my life and it works <laughs> out Okay. <laughs>
0: So the other thing about carrying two strands of yarn is that one of those colors is going to end up being your dominant color.
1: Tell us about what that means.
0: Okay. So this is a little fussy. And not only is it a little fussy, it's not 100% going to matter in every situation. It's Mm -hmm. going to matter more if you're using like high contrast. So if you are like the body of your sweater is white or cream or something in the sort of white family, your contrast color is something in the like dark brown or black family. It's going to be more important because you're going to, it's going to be easier to see the second color through the first color if you don't get this right. And I guess that would actually work the other way around as well. Like white would glare through really dark. It's just a high contrast issue. Some of it is that you have to be a little bit careful about how your yarn shows through. So your contrast color showing through your main color or your main color showing through your contrast color and how, how you are managing your yarn in your hand is going to make a difference about that. Depending on how you are carrying your two strands, if you are putting them down and picking them up and putting them down and picking them up, it matters less. Because it's going to be less consistent. But if you are, for example, doing two-handed color work, where you're holding one of them in your left hand and one of them in your right hand, and you're just going all the way across your row that way, one of them is always going to be held under, and one is always going to be held over the other. And so I found a blog post by Isolde Teague, who is explaining this. And I'm just going to read right from it, because she's explaining it way better than I could. If the color is held higher, it's going straight across to the next stitches in its color. The yarn held lower is dipping down a little before stranding across and then coming back up again to reach the stitch. Some of the extra yarn naturally transfers into the stitch, making the stitches in the lower yarn bigger, hence dominant color. It makes the pattern pop more against the background. So a couple of different things are happening there. One is that there is literally more yarn In the dominant color stitches. So they'll just be, you know, a little bit bigger. And some of it is that as the the color, as the floats rather, are laying against the inside of your fabric, they're going to be visible or not visible. They're going to be pushed like the, the sort of inside strand is going to be pushed against the fabric in a way the outside strand isn't. And so this is just something to play with and be aware of. And a little bit ignore unless you see a problem, right? right. Do, you, do you feel kind of yeah. the same
1: way about that? I, I think that's accurate. I mean, all of this is so subjective and right. like up to <laughs> your personal preference. And I think that if you're talking about color work that has a clear background and a clear pattern design, so we're just going to say flowers for consistency here. I've got a field of color and there are flowers on it. It's probably fair to say that I want my flowers to have the dominant color and pop on the yoke. If this is something that's kind of like a consistent geometric design, you've got some sort of like Escher style pattern of like diamonds or triangles or whatever the case is, and the shapes that you're knitting are consistent throughout the yoke, then you get to pick which color you want to be dominant because it's, it's color preference at that point and less dependent on like shape and design, like patterning. So that's a great opportunity to play around in your swatch to decide which color you think looks better as the dominant color. You could knit half your swatch with color A as the dominant color and the second half of it, make color B the dominant color and decide which is more visually appealing to you, before you commit to the whole project and decide halfway through it that you were like, "Mm, that probably would have been better in the opposite order.
0: Right. And then the other thing too, if your color work is high contrast, so let's say your main color is black and your contrast color is white, Mm -hmm. you're knitting white flowers on a black background. Mm -hmm. And in the space between the flowers, you're noticing that you can see little bits of the white yarn like peeking through your stitches that would be another time to play with this because you can change kind of how those two strands are interacting with each other on the inside part of the fabric so that that isn't happening anymore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's one of those things like, how many sweaters did you knit before you ever thought about this? A lot. Is Many. It, is it infinite? Are you still never thinking about this? I sometimes think about <laughs> this. I really, I really only do think about this when I have long enough floats that I need to catch them because then it, when I catch them, they either show through or they don't. hmm Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that's a whole lot. Before we move on to different types of color work, I just want to mention briefly that there are also some tools that knitters use to manage their yarn when they're doing stranded color work. So they're working multiple strands at the same time. There are rings that have like little coily loops on them that knitters will wear to kind of control the yarn by running it through a channel on your hand and that prevents you from dropping your yarn, which is kind of neat. I haven't actually ever used one of them, but I see videos of people knitting with them lately. I want to say Dank Fiber sure on Instagram. She knits wicked fast and does a lot of cool color work and has videos of like her hands cruising along with those little rings holding her strands. There are also tools like Portuguese knitting pins, where it's an actual pin like a brooch that you wear on your shirt, or I guess wherever else you might want to put it. Your yarn runs through a little coiled channel on that to kind of control it. And I think you can use it for all sorts of knitting, but I've specifically seen people use it as a tool in their color work process.
0: And then just do whatever you can to keep your balls of yarn under control. Right. You can go from sort of more permanent to less permanent solutions, right? You can do something like a yarn bowl with two channels mm-hmm. or two separate yarn bowls. You can do something like uh, little project bags with one or two openings, or you could do literal Ziploc bags where you zip and then let the, let the two strands of yarn poke out.
1: Yeah, you could cram them into a sock or right. like nylons or something. People sell them like those little like sleeves. Yes. That just kind of squish around your ball of yarn and it kind of keeps it under control. So you get to experiment. Yes. And play with tools and gadgets because that's <laughs> half the joy of knitting. Accessorizing and, your knits.
0: Yeah. And you'll find something that works for you and you get to stick with it. Mm-hmm. So what other kinds of color work are there?
1: Well, there is mosaic color work, which I am in deep with right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mosaic color work is kind of having a moment. Like, I feel like it wasn't really a technique name that you heard a lot. And then we've started seeing it pop up over and over and over. And it's
1: cool. Definitely. It's also sometimes referred to as slip stitch color work. And you'll see it in a lot of... Popular designs right now. My experience with it at the moment is I'm test knitting the Backroads Wrap for Brienne Moody, which is like this cool diamond pattern. And Cheryl Faust recently had a very like she does quite a bit of mosaic knitting. She had a cool shawl pattern release a couple of months ago that was very popular. But all sorts of of good stuff. There's the Asukinaki cowl by Candice English which is a two color cowl that's kind of like cool slip stitch patterning and would be a great project for introduction to color work, mosaic color work. And the actual process is you're just using one color per row, even though you're using multiple colors in your project. I find personally, I am better at knitting mosaic color work when I use a chart than I am following line-by-line line written instructions. Although I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say many mosaic knitting patterns have both types of instruction. It's easier for me to visualize which stitches I should be slipping and which ones I should be knitting as I work across a row when I can see the image in a chart. But that's that's totally a preference issue. When you're knitting mosaic color work flat, Versus in the round, you're actually working two rows for each color. So your color A, you will knit and slip stitches across the row, and then work your way back doing the same thing in those stitches, and then move on to color B and follow the instructions for that, so it's only ever one strand at a time. Intarsia. Intarsia. So intarsia knitting is a technique that I think is maybe a little bit more popular now than it has been because there are some contemporary designers building new patterns. But you might be most familiar with it thinking about sweaters, I'm going to say from the 70s and the 80s, (laughs) that have like a big graphic image on the front yes, and no color work anywhere else. And that sweater probably had seams. It was knit flat in pieces and put together to become a garment. But the way that that color work happens is you're working with short strands of yarn to create these sections or big blocks of color. You may have seen someone knitting at some point with a bunch of little bobbins hanging off the back of their knitting, and it looked like some wild Cthulhu-esque project, (laughs) like yarn tentacles hanging everywhere. And they might have been little like plastic or cardboard card bobbins like you might see embroidery floss wound on, or it could have been a clothespin or any number of tools. But what knitters will do is take some length of yarn, wind it up onto this object, and then use it for knitting short bursts of color. You'll knit across in your main color, you'll have some stitches in this contrast color, And then you'll use like a locking stitch technique like we talked about earlier where you're kind of twisting the strands around each other to secure it and then work with the next color to create the color shifts in this image. And you'll have to do that back and forth across your fabric to build things up. So like if you're knitting a sweater with a dog and it's a blue sweater and it has cute little brown legs. You'll work in the blue, and then you'll have a short section of brown for one of its angles, and then more blue, and then another short section of brown for another ankle. And it will kind of build and grow that way. And sometimes, depending on the complexity of your pattern, you have many, many, many bobbins hanging off for a single row if there are lots of color changes. We've done an intarsia-based class where we knit coasters. So a very tiny, small square of fabric that had a heart in the middle. And then the students in the class felted them afterwards. And when you looked at the front or the back of that piece of knitting, you couldn't see there was no overlap of color. It was clean lines on both sides because of how the yarn was carried. So it's kind of fussy and some people love it and some people don't, but it's a neat thing to do. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And you end up, so you end up with a bobbin or a ball of yarn, depending for every single one of your color sections in an intarsia project, which really does get kind of wild. We have a a woman who knits at the store who made a dress
1: with intarsia
0: flowers (laughs) on it. And that thing, the process, like just seeing it while it was in process was Wild. It was so wild.
1: Yeah. We're not talking like a bodycon tube dress. Like it was a big, beautiful, full circle skirt. So it was so many flowers across (laughs) such a huge expanse. And it was in the round. Like it was very complicated and super impressive.
0: We get a lot, people come into the store who often they haven't knit in years, but they're like about to have their first grandchild or something and they want to knit usually like a graphic sweater for this baby. So yes. they'll want to knit something with like a teddy bear on it or something, not realizing that that would be intarsia and it would be seamed. In a lot of those situations, you want to look at something like duplicate stitching, which I will talk about in another episode coming mm-hmm. up, because you can't do a teddy bear stranded because you're going to end up with a million loops of your contrast color around the back of this poor baby, But also, (laughs) you are probably, if you haven't knit in a bunch of years, you may not want to jump into an Intarsia project as your first thing back.
1: Or maybe you're bold. We don't know. Right, right,
0: (laughs) right. Totally. There are a lot of really great Intarsia sweaters and projects out there. There's a designer whose Patterns Are on Ravelry, her handle is Shiny Superhero. She has these great, like, graphic big polka dots on her sweaters, that kind of thing. She also has a pattern called the Lara Mittens, which are, you know, a mitten sized project <laughs> if mm-hmm. you would rather not try this on something huge. High recommend for any of those. Yeah. And I think that maybe
1: if you come from like a long line of knitters, you might be familiar with like the kind of classic designs of calf facet who has an epically deep library of intarsia patterns that intimidate me. They're like intarsia from top to bottom of like jackets and just wild things. They're huge. So the evolution of intarsia is is interesting too.
0: So the other big kind of color work that we want to get into here is brioche, which is sort of like your two-color knitting in a really squishy way. And it's like mosaic in that you're revisiting every row twice. If you've never tried brioche before, I personally find it much easier in the round than flat. Because you have to go across every row twice. And if it's flat, until you kind of understand the construction of brioche, it can be really confusing to figure out which direction you should be going in, much less which strand you should be working with. Whereas when you're going in the round, it is just, you're only going in one direction. Yeah, you have one option. It's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And what's neat about brioche is it creates reversible fabric. And if it's two color brioche, you end up with like a different dominant color, depending on which side of the fabric you're looking at.
1: So it's twice as fancy.
0: That's right. But no more complicated. (laughs) So brioche is
1: the process of kind of wrapping and slipping stitches as you work across a row and you're creating kind of high relief ribbing. So there are definitely columns that are like a column of knit stitch and there's a column of purl stitch, but it's different than just one by one ribbing because there's a series of yarn overs, I guess, wrapping around those stitches. And sometimes brioche is done in one color, but the two color brioche, like, Really pops and is just kind of an exciting and a little bit challenging. I think of brioche as like pay attention to it knitting in a way that some other stitches are not, and it's always exciting to see people endeavor into big two-color brioche projects. There was a pattern in I think a winter pom pom issue a few years ago, and one of our knitters in the shop did like an amazing like neck to hemline brioche sweater that was featured in it. And it was just gorgeous and reversible. <laughs> right? Very right. cool. So that this is an opportunity to play with color work, play with texture, but you're only working with one strand of yarn at a time, which is nice because you're not dealing with the, the complication of like holding tension. Brioche tends to be kind of squishy and stretchy because of the ribbed characteristics. So I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit forgiving because it takes away the, like, puckery tension issues and the yarn maintenance.
0: Right. You end up with the like, two-sided reversible, where you're functionally knitting one color and purling another color. There are all kinds of ways to remember brioche. There's, I've seen other people who teach classes there's something about barking and burping which I don't understand but it's like the the designation for brioche knit is brk and brioche pearl is brp and I'm sure it's very memorable if you understand it which I do not
1: so I've never heard that before and that's hilarious
0: (laughs) once you get the hang of it and I mean, this is this is one of those things like you hear people say and you're like, sure, once you get the hang of all of this, it's kind of mindless. But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty mindless because you are kind of just doing the same thing over and over. But yes, definitely recommend starting with an in-the-round project because you can kind of imagine, let's say you've done your first pass on a row. So you have color one, you've knit across. Color two, the strand is still waiting for you to purl across and you set your project down, and then you pick it back up. And are you purling across with color two? Or are you beginning to purl across going the other way with color one? Like it is very, it's just easier to only have one possible direction to go in until you learn how it's structured and how to read it. And that's just an experience thing. There's really no way to learn that until you're used to looking at it. Yeah, this is not theoretical knowledge. Right. (laughs) right,
1: right. It's, It's practice. Yes. And skill building.
0: And being able, I have to say the one thing about brioche that I still personally find very intimidating is if you make a mistake, having to drop back down and reconstruct it gives me the fear. The fear is intense and I cannot, I cannot do it. Like, so I end up frogging. You may, if you've never used lifelines before, which is where you kind of run either waste yarn or dental floss or something across in order to have a place to pull back to, brioche might be a good time to try that because hoo boy. (laughs) I have to say,
1: I find fixing brioche dropped stitches kind of exhilarating. (laughs) It like engages the part of my brain that really enjoys puzzles and like logic problems. Makes you feel alive. It does. It does. It's like (laughs) I get a little rush of adrenaline. And I just really like it. It's fun.
0: So if somebody wants to try their first brioche project, do we have any recommendations for them? Yes. The Beginner's Brioche Cowl by
1: Lavagna Patricella is a two-color cowl and it's like a really simple tube and it's knit with bulky yarn so it's kind of quick and your stitches are big and I think it's working at that scale makes it really easy to see your stitches and kind of power through the project. I also think, and this is just my personal opinion, that when you drop bulky weight stitches, it's easier to grab them and pick them back up. Yes. So it's a good starting point.
0: So the first brioche project I ever did, do you remember this? It was a Levanya pattern. Mm-hmm. It was a baby blanket. Yes. That started at the center. It was a round baby blanket. Karen was fearless. <laughs> and for some reason I knit it with, oh, it was so slippery. Oh, yeah. The slipperiest, because it was like alpaca silk and then a strand of fingering weight, but mostly it was the slipperiest, floppiest yarn on earth. And I must have frogged this thing 85 times, and I finally decided that I was going to knit a different pattern, because I think I could, if I ever picked it up again, I'm sure I could do it now. But like, starting at the center and trying to increase in brioche, it was a gorgeous pattern. We'll link it in the show notes. Increase and having floppy stitches. It was like a nightmare. You definitely want some like structure to your stitches just in case, just in case you need it when you're trying it out. This also begs the question, did you really love those parents
1: or really not love those parents to knit them, uh, to attempt to knit them in alpaca silk? Baby
0: blanket. You know what's really weird? I have absolutely no idea whose baby this was for, so I may have been completely indifferent about these parents. I <laughs> I cannot remember what baby I thought I was making this. Huh. Yeah. I think, you know what? I think that yarn is still shoved in a project bag.
1: <laughs> I think I never. It may be time to resurrect it. Yeah,
0: it probably still has needles in it. I think I couldn't Ooh. even look at it like it was one of those. That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea whose baby that would have been for. If your baby didn't get a baby blanket, and you thought it was going to, from me specifically, let me know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That kid is now seven.
0: Right. Yes.
1: (laughs) Let's see. So there's some other types of color work that we're not really going to dig into at all today, but may come up in the future. Maybe my favorite... Stripes are color work, technically, color work. Not super complicated, like technique wise, because it's just a block of one color, then a block of another color, but it's a great opportunity to play with color. Yes. Like if you don't feel confident about your ability to put colors together, striping projects are great palettes for just playing, whether you're stash busting or you have a particular pattern that you're following. Like, get
0: excited. Play with the yarn. Also, if you make your stripes fairly narrow, you don't have to break the yarn. Yes. And you don't have to weave in the ends. hmm <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> and if you do break your yarn, you should weave in your ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I can tell you from experience that if you don't, you may regret it. I knit a flax light out of strands of fingering weight yarn from some of my favorite dyers. I just had like a precious single skein of like six different colors, and I didn't know what to do with them. And I was like, great, I'm going to put this all into one sweater. And I started strong in the beginning. I was weaving in my ends as I went because the stripes felt just a little bit too thick to be carrying the yarn on the inside. So I was cutting. And after a few inches of sweater knitting, I was like, no, I'm not going to weave in as I go. I'm just going to make progress and deal with it later. And then <laughs> later when I finished it, I didn't feel committed to weaving in those ends. And like a, like a fool, <laughs> I tied some, some knots and had found that Those knots only lasted for so long. I was at work one day and was like, why do I feel air on my side? (laughs) And my knots had come undone and I had gaps between my stripes. So learn from my experience
0: and weave in your ends for your stripes. Let's see. Are there any other types of color work? So there is illusion or shadow color work, which is really fun because it depends like whether or not you can see it depends on the angle you're looking at your project from. Yes.
1: People do really cool things like kind of arty graphic panels or words. I recently saw some swear words tucked into a scarf. <laughs> and it's not something that I have any personal experience with. I haven't done any illusion knitting, but I admire it when I see it.
0: Yeah. So what, what it is, is you're doing your color work like on, so it's ribbing and you're doing the color work on the pearls it's almost like a cousin to corrugated ribbing, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But you're like creating like secret hidden shape because mm-hmm. you're just doing it on the recessed part of your ribbing. Corrugated ribbing, which um, Kate Davies does a lot in her patterns, is where you have... So if you have like knit to, purl two ribbing, there will be different colors for the purls than for the knits. And so like my Kufel sweater has... I can't remember now if it's the knits or the pearls is in the main color and either the knits or the pearls has stripes in it. And so you're just sort of, that is a million ends to weave in, but like you're just sort of having this little bit of relief work. It's a neat, it's a really neat technique. It looks beautiful. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You see it a lot in like the brim of hats too. Like
1: it's a super sweet detail.
0: Yeah. I think that that's, that's it. Yeah. Color work doesn't have to be intimidating. You don't have to jump right into a huge project. You know, try it on something like a hat or mittens or a cowl or something that like that will make you feel good when you finish it. Mm-hmm. Manageable size is a great place to start. Right. And it's fun and it opens up a whole new category of patterns to you. Awesome. So Jessica. Oh, Karen. <laughs> what's on your needles right now?
1: It's still this test knit. But I am optimistic that by next week, I will be done. That is my plan, my goal for myself. Yes. And I know this needs to happen, A, because I have a deadline, and B, because I have a wandering eye. Yeah. There are so many other things I want to be knitting, namely flutter butt shorts. (laughs) Yes. And I don't know if I'm going to do it.
0: You are going to do it. I
1: don't wear shorts,
0: though. I'm so stressed about this. (laughs) Okay. We were just talking about this. Because a couple of years ago, everybody was like, oh, all these cute crop sweaters. I don't wear crop tops. What do we do with this? How do we style this?
1: And then we all did.
0: And then we all did. And it was fine. And they're adorable. And it's great. And everybody's happier. I feel like that, but shorts.
1: (laughs) I might have to try it. I don't know. I'm excited. It's a Jessie Mae pattern. So clearly it's excellent. But yeah, it's just
0: weirdly appealing. You could wear them over tights or leggings. If you don't want, you know... Naked legs. Naked <laughs> legs, right. Totally. Like, wear your crop top over a tank top. It's fine. Huh. So, yeah,
1: maybe I'll do that. It's, it's on my list, tentatively. What's on your needles, Karen?
0: Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> my forager. My forager, and this is the last week it's still going to be on my needles. You're so close. I knit the sleeves on the wrong size needle,
1: mm-hmm. which I
0: discovered when I got to the cuff. <laughs> And I was like, wait, where are my size fours to switch to? And then I realized I had knit the sleeves on the wrong size needle, which is kind of a relief because it was like tight, tight fabric toward the end there. Like once I finished all the sleeve decreases and I was like, why this sleeve could stand like, why is this so tight? Maybe it'll loosen up when it's blocked. No, it was just way too tight. So I took that opportunity to switch over and I knit two at a time and I actually, I d di- I didn't end up doing the cuffs two at a time. So I just finished the cuff of the first sleeve last night, and then I'm going to finish the cuff of the second sleeve, I hope tonight. And then I just have to do like a little bit of picking up around the neckline. And that's it. So I'm gonna try to wear it. It's, it's gonna, gonna be so for good. next week. I'm really excited about this sweater. It's beautiful. And I'm so annoyed. Anytime you have to knit more sleeves than the number of arms that you have on your body, it is like yeah. It makes me sad. That's a lot. Because <laughs> you know what? If I had three arms, the knitting would go faster, and I don't, and it doesn't. Anyway,
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe the knitting would go faster, but it would depend on the number of needles. Early. That's right.
0: is, it, <laughs> is it four I still or five? Can't hold by twenty-seven DPNs. Uh, okay. We are still getting people checking in with us about that. And it's like my favorite thing. We should put up like a poll or something. I want to know percentages.
1: Yeah, it's a gift. It's It's, a gift. It's like what kind of underwear people wear. Like you never know. And then suddenly everyone's telling you it's wild.
0: Well, and we had somebody at Craft Night who was talking about she's knitting with needles that were like from her grandmother's stash. And she was super annoyed because she went to go pull out the DPNs and there were only four in there. So it's, you know, it's going, and I was yes. like, this is,
1: <laughs> I was like,
0: what's the problem? She's right. like, I'm missing a needle. <laughs> like, well, that was, that was your spare needle. Just don't lose another. <laughs> right. Uh. All right. Now, are you ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For a letter. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Okay, our email this week is from Nancy. I am thinking of participating in a mystery knit-along. The designer has not provided a gauge yet, but says the pattern calls for about 1,200 yards of fingering weight. I looked through my stash and found 1,200 yards of DK weight that I want to use for the pattern. The project is a shawl, so I'm not worried about the size of the end product. I'm wondering if I will have enough yarn to finish the project or if I should adjust my gauge for the different weight yarn. Nancy,
1: what a (laughs) puzzle. (laughs) A, mystery knit-alongs are fun, so how exciting for you. And B, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, and I I don't say that to be flip, like, I, I really don't know. So I feel like neither you nor I have enough information here to confidently say that you will have enough yarn. So it seems like you need 1,200 yards, about 1,200 yards of fingering weight yarn. That's kind of nonspecific, particularly without gauge information, because it could be that the designer used three skeins of yarn that had 400 yards each. So they're saying you need 1,200 yards, and maybe they used all of it. Or maybe they used three skeins of yarn that would equal 1,200 yards each, but they only used like 300 yards out of each skein. So without that kind of information, it's really difficult to tell how much you actually need to complete a project. What I would recommend that you do in this circumstance is maybe reach out to the designer since they haven't released gauge information, and ask them if they think substituting equal yardage of DK weight would work for this project. And they should know. You know, they'll either tell you, oh sure, you'll be fine, There was there's leftover yarn, or no, we used up every single inch of all 1,200 yards, and because your gauge will be different, or your stitch size will be different, you're going to need to adjust that. So yeah, my answer is you need more information. And only one person can give that to you.
0: Well, and so a couple of different things here too. 1,200 yards of fingering weight is like three skeins. 1,200 yards of DK weight is like five skeins. So that's the difference between 300 grams and 500 grams of yarn. So you're going to be able to get more fabric out of your 1,200 yards of DK weight if it were like a garter or a stockinette or something, right? Like you're just going to need fewer stitches to get that number of inches of knitting. But it will take more yarn per stitch because you're going to be using bigger needles. And so you just like, how much yarn does it take to wrap around the needle? And there's Mm -hmm. like all kinds of, there are a lot of question marks here. Yeah. And particularly because it's a mystery knit along, like, are there cables involved?
1: Is there lace? Like what is happening? (laughs) You don't know. And that's the fun, but also it's also the problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it would depend like if you knew, if you knew it was color work and it was a particular design. Mm -hmm. And if you end your design early, you're going to end up with a dog with no feet or something right, Right. in your shawl. (laughs) Um, It's a little bit different from, for example, the the test knit that Jessica's doing, which is a geometric pattern. And if you run out of yarn, you would just stop doing, just stop doing the pattern and it would be okay. Right. Yeah. There's no missing dog feet. (laughs) (laughs) In that one.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my advice. Get in touch with your designer. (laughs) And if you decide to do it, whether it's with your DK weight yarn or a different yarn, let us know what the knit along is at some point. Yeah. I'm always interested in mystery knit alongs.
0: Thanks, Nancy. Good luck. <laughs> so I think that will do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And you can always email us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. And we'll try to give you an actual answer to your question <laughs> <laughs> in varying degrees of specificity. Yes, and you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your audio podcasts. Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or there's, there are so many places. I don't know, wherever. And if you're trying to find us somewhere and we're not there, email us and we'll see if we can figure out how to be there.
1: And while you're there, rate us and review us because it will help other knitters find us. And also we want to know feedback. Like, what do you think of all of this knitterly rambling? (laughs) If you want to see what we're up to, you can follow us at Make Good Pod on Instagram. And we are in the process of thinking about doing a spring knit-along, and we want to know what do you want to knit? Because I mean, if we don't hear back from you, we may all end up knitting flutter butt shorts, <laughs> which will be amazing, but maybe you all really wanted to knit a hat or a top or something else. So, reach out to us. You can DM us on Instagram or send us an email. We want to hear from you.
0: Thanks so much. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.